Adam, I'm holding in my hand the only original piece of art that shows Michael Jordan wearing a number 12 uniform. Ooh, 12 game. It's not even a Michael Jordan card. I, I know we've talked a little bit about my, my trading card, my sports card hobby in the past, yeah. but um, we had a, a segment on our last podcast before we came over here and partnered with MRM called Southpaw Stories. Southpaw, man. I'm we're, happy we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. We're <laughs> taking my, my Southpaw Slabs um, trading card collection and tell stories about some of the cards, some of the like unique things about it that I like. And, and this is one of the cards that really... Uh, uh, accelerated my passion for for collecting sports cards yeah that's a crazy card too because a lot of people when they see it or don't associate michael jordan with 23 it's usually 45 right played with that one season but yeah man number 23 is like the most significant number in in all of sports i mean really it's one of the most memorable numbers in in history but funny thing about this card, so this is actually a Sam Vincent card, 1990 NBA Hoops. That's the, the card production company for this specific one. Yeah. They put out a card. This picture that was taken was on a Valentine's Day game, February 14th, 1990. Uh, the Chicago Bulls starring Michael Jordan were playing the Orlando Magic in Orlando. Sometime before the game, in between shooting around the game, Someone stole Michael Jordan's number twenty-three jersey out of their locker room. There's a couple, uh, super uh, fan, couple stories yeah. or a couple myths that say, you know someone hit it up in the ceiling and is going to come back in in fifty years <laughs> to come back and and find it. But but no, it was stolen before the game. They had like a a an arena-wide search for both the jersey and another fan wearing a a, a replica number twenty-three in the stands that may let Jordan borrow it. Unfortunately, there weren't. Enough people, or there weren't, there wasn't a jersey that fit him that he could wear. So what they did, they the Chicago Bulls had a spare number twelve jersey without a name on the back of it that Michael <laughs> so Jordan had to wear. Had that. I know, crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you remember when we were growing up in sports? You always take an extra, extra jersey. It's usually blank right. or something, but but yeah, like Michael Jordan's number twenty three. This is the only game. He ever played not wearing number 23 or 45. Oh, that's nuts. That's like the uh, Jimmy Hoffa of jerseys. Seriously. Like, <laughs> where is it? it? Where am I? Can you imagine how much that would be worth right now if it just popped up somewhere? Right? <laughs> Can you imagine being if you were in the stands that day and you had a jersey that fit MJ and he wore it in that right. game? Like, right. how cool would that be? Or even that number 12, wherever that number 12 is, too. That's like, true. Wow. <laughs> we might be <laughs> searching for that. It's without the name on the back, though. It's a little tough. Tough to prove. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Twelve, we one, can and DNA two. Test it. Equals three. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's crazy though. It's fun. Fun fact though, Michael Jordan scored forty nine points that day, so he seemed to play all right in the in the number uh, the number twelve. Yeah, you can tell he wasn't wearing twenty three. No, for sure, not at all. <laughs> well, well, cool. That that's just like one of the ways. I started to fall in love with sports cards. I just thought it was collecting your favorite players, but mm -hmm. then I started to like research into it and was like, wait, there's like actually some stories behind these. Um, we're gonna cover later on, uh, later on in the streamcast. Yeah, man, and you like with the whole Southpaw movement, you opened my eyes to training cards in general because, like, as a kid, it was it was tough to keep track of like uh, Top Shot and different types of brands. Like, I didn't know what was worth what, but right. I mean these stories and what is actually depicted apart from just the player in itself kind of opened a whole different perspective for me. I'm like, why it's dope. You know C what I mean? Crazy, right? Yeah. It, it adds another layer of, of what brings this piece of cardboard value. 
you know, we talk a lot about NFTs and crypto and all these like alternative investments and like why are people paying these prices for them or just yeah. like a lot of it sort of doesn't make sense to a lot of people why someone would pay the types of prices for these things. But the market dictates what they're worth and people value, you know, unique images yeah. of Michael Jordan, unique images of their favorite athletes or celebrities or things. So it's it's just one of those ways um, that that when you talk about investments and, and moon talk, which which will lead into the episode, it's like this is this is my new fun way of investing, you know, not not uh, buying a stock or a mutual fund or something yeah. digital through through the bank, but you know something I can physically hold and touch and feel and show off, um, at, while also you know appreciating or depreciating valuable in value. It's a it's a game. Absolutely, and I'm happy we're bringing Southpaw back because I feel like for people who aren't investing in NFTs or anything like that, this is a, a different way or probably a more familiar way to understand why something is a collectible item. Like. You, you kind of have to start like with a basis of something else to conceptually wrap your head around NFTs. Hundred percent. Trading cards, like I collect vinyl, like stuff like that, like physical, tangible assets that you have that other people find valuable for whatever reason. They whatever they went reason. to that game, or they're a huge Madonna fan and have all of her albums and collect them or whatever. So. It, certain Madonna shit would be valuable to that person. So exactly. I just feel like, I'm again, I'm happy we, we're bringing this back because it makes it a little bit more of a clear path when you're trying to understand that from a digital Yeah, digital I, I think it probably helped me or helped my learning curve jumping into NFTs. M yeah. Maybe not cryptocurrency, but understanding beast, yeah. crypto is a different beast um we're, we're trying to unpack this all all uh all of our show but but yeah i think it did help help me at least with that initial learning curve of of what makes something valuable to to who yeah it's, yeah it's bizarre you said you collect vinyls mm -hmm. do you not to put you on the spot do you have a favorite vinyl that you collected or or one that you're looking for or you know what what's What's your list look like in terms of vinyl collecting? Yeah, my favorite one that I've collected so far is a St. John Collection 1 album. It's his first album made. He's he's like probably my favorite singer from Brooklyn, I think. Okay. And so St. John. Yeah, St. John, and there's there was only 1000 copies made. Let's go. And like, you know, it's kind of weird Urban Outfitters has like exclusive vinyl. Like they have a lot of the carbon copy stuff. Right. They've got exclusive ones like these two Mac Miller ones coming out. From Urban Outfitters? Yeah. No way. Yeah, like, they've got a decent collection of, like, exclusive shit, but... I'm always picturing that they have a little corner in their stores, yeah. you know, when I would when I would go through Somerset when, when I was a kid, and, and, and um, I, I remember seeing, they, they look like commodity, like, maybe it's the carbon copies you're talking about, but there's actually authentic... Yeah. Um, limited edition ones. Limited edition ones. Wow. Like you, you can go in there and probably find like a Prince Purple Rain record or something like that that was mass produced like crazy. But they will get like the exclusive joints. And so the St. John one was like one of a thousand. That's awesome. Ever made. It's a it's a pink record. Like all the records inside look sweet. So like, it's unique. I mean, there's probably not many pink records. It's that's unique. Yeah, yeah. And then if you if you I think I think the album came out either 2018 or 2019, and it's already worth 1,200 bucks wow. already. Wow! So like, and was this someone you listened to before, or did did you know of him, or does he have something about him that people follow? Yeah, I definitely listened to okay. him before. Um, honestly, shout out my boy Max. He's the one who put me on vinyls in general. I thought his collection was super dope, and I'm like, I'm always on Spotify looking for new music and stuff like that. So 
I thought it would be cool to start yeah. collecting on my own because, I mean, I love that shit. But It's a um, piece of art, too, like a vinyl yeah. on the vinyl cover. Yeah, like I, I got a – they re-released uh, Future's Dirty Sprite 2, and, like, the, the album itself is, like, a turquoise, like, uh, lean bottle yeah. or whatever, but, like, it's a limited dessert. edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and a little styrofoam it's cup. It's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> You know who we we might need to get our our man Allen back there on the pod one time on the streamcast sometime. Hey, yeah. He's got an insane level of knowledge about vinyls. At Ooh. least we were talking a little bit right, the man. the technical part of like how vinyls are created and the history behind it. It's it was bizarre. I my mind was blown. Um, but it's really cool like how the how the sound is produced on vinyls also. So and they sound way different. Yeah. They sound way different. Like if you listen to a Kanye album on vinyl, it's a different experience than digitally. Uh, maybe we'll get Alan in a music piece. <laughs> That'll be our our goal for for the rest of season one. That's funny. Does um, I, I want to talk about the topic like collecting physical things versus digital versus yeah. a, a whole cluster of it all. Mm-hmm. Where uh, I'll pose the question to you: Where do you stand, or or how do you feel about collecting and or investing? Or just interacting with things physically or digitally? Just go with that question as yeah. your mind takes. So when I first got into NFTs, it was explained to me it's an online digital art gallery. Like, And then my initial thought was, who gives a fuck about that? Like, You have to go literally look for my gallery versus in real life where you can show people your tangible assets. But if you think about it, it's like, who gives a fuck? They have to come to my house to see it. Right. We talked about that on the last episode, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like you're, more people can see your collection digitally. Um, but first, you have to wrap your head around what a digital um, collection may or may not look like. Like, why would that be important versus physical? Because a lot of people still can't fathom why this profile picture is so cool you know what i'm saying on my phone you know what i mean the right click savers yeah yeah it's like i I right click save i have the same shit you do so like that goes deep into the blockchain conversation and why that's like a one-on-one a one of one Mm -hmm. um but digitally like i've like it it's also helped me more on the physical side like myself reinvest onto the physical side because before, like I was saying, I, I collect vinyl now. This is a recent thing. Like yeah. it's not anything that I've been doing, but I've I've always loved music to a certain degree. But um, making my investments digitally and having a digital gallery, if you will, of all the NFTs I have, made me want to re- reinvest physically. Like oh shit, like I, I want some of these real life art pieces. I want some this vinyl. Like we just talked about music NFTs. I want tangible like records that i care about right you know what i'm saying so like that seems like a pretty good area where where you could almost combine you know as technology develops as nft technology develops combine physical and digital yeah where where you receive an nft for x vinyl but like by owning this nft it means you're going to be sent this physical vinyl and it's still the limited edition copy or it's you know kept in the vault of the vinyl company you know right, it's kept right. and protected and insured you know and you can then buy and sell you know trade that nft or or you know take ownership of the physical and hang it up in your house or whatever you want to yeah even play even it. from a community standpoint too like you're gonna go to your like vinyl gatherings like you might go buy certain vinyls at a record store and then meet some of your people there yeah. digitally we've already like beat down discord into the ground but like 
you're in the discord with everybody who cares about that particular project or that particular art piece. So it's the same thing, but it's different. You know what right. I'm saying? Like it really, but I, I will re-say again, it really helped me like get back involved with like physically collecting things again. Cause I like that part was kind of missing. Like it makes things fun. Like even when you buy your own house or your apartment or townhouse or whatever, like you want to have it like reflect you. Right. Um, and NFTs really helped me like do that in the now. I want to go down that rabbit hole a little yeah. bit. And it was one of the first very general general topics that I started to understand when when I jumped into this world. I didn't consciously think about this day to day, but you know, the th- using the things that we buy or the things that we collect, the things that we own are a way to communicate with others or the way to flex or the way yeah. to less like show off ourselves and our personality without speaking, you know, the, the types of hats that we wear or shoes or clothing or the type of art we hang up or yeah. car we drive, like everything we do, whether we, we mean for it to, to communicate something or not, it is communicating something, something. about ourselves or yeah. our identity. And you're right. The more I, I thought about it as I was first jumping in is like, whether I've collected a lot or little things, like not many people know what I have or like things. I, I'm not one to show off things that I buy, but like I'm sure there were things that I, I've accumulated over the years that tell something about. They're just things that are in my closet or they're they're just not available yeah. to others. If I were to hang up art, like you'd have to come over to my house to see it. Yeah, I. It, it's such an interesting concept of taking it over digitally and and having that available to the world. You know, you can create your showcase and 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 make it look how you want, but ultimately like everyone can see everything that you do. How does that how is that going to change behaviors or like how does that, you know, help oh, change things? It's going to go crazy. Like if, right? you, if you like if you think about the Oculus and now Apple's developing their own piece and Google is too, like you could literally make your own freaking gallery and have people come see it. And everything while like, still not leaving your house while still not leaving your house. So then just imagine like it's the new blue check, if you will, from social media. Like everybody wants that blue check. because yeah. It means something like I'm verified to who, whatever you you care about. You know, what I'm That's saying a great example. And now it's like, oh, come to my literal digital gallery. Just put your Oculus on or whatever. And you can see what I own. I can just see people going crazy in there. That's wild. Like, even to a point like. I don't know if you watched all the Matrix movies. I I, I have. It's been <laughs> it's been a while, so. But it's I'm gonna need you. It's just like like people living in these fucking pods, and they're tapped in in the Matrix, and they're just somewhere completely different. Like they were saying, Ready Player One. Is it kind of yeah, like Ready Player One? Like the future of this stuff is like people are gonna get that uh, studio apartment or one bedroom apartment, and just have a place to cook and eat and sleep and be tuned in to the metaverse all day, showing off your gallery, playing whatever game, or being somebody that you're actually not, but you are in, in That's this different reality. And I think um, NFTs and collecting some of this stuff that's out there is going to contribute to that significantly. Interesting. Yeah. You Sorry, know. we just went down. <laughs> no, yeah. It, metaverse wormhole, but... It is. I mean, it, yeah. that's where it gets a little outrageous yeah. i mean we're not there yet i mean we're talking no, no. about future things and who knows if 
if it goes that far, but those are the concepts that, that are part. But we've got like that, uh, I, I don't know if it's Sandbox or I'm saying the wrong project, but you buy um, apartments and uh, the famous one is Snoop is very involved in the metaverse, but yeah. th- these places in the metaverse close to his digital apartment are like real real estate valued Real pieces, estate in the metaverse. Yeah. Decentraland. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's Sandbox, Decentraland, yeah, Decentraland yeah. World Wide Web Land. But it's, it's, that's kind of where it's going to because I can flex that I live next to Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, it, it sounds stupid. And I've, I've talked to some people about this and they, a lot of people think it's stupid. You know, I think it's stupid too, but like, it is kind of stupid. <laughs> But let's try it. Like, why do some people think it's not stupid? Or why do some people think it, it could turn into something? Like, if if this plays out, at least a little bit of, of what you're saying, where you're spending a lot of time in a metaverse yeah. or in a digital land, like, if that land or that metaverse is, is becomes popular, you know, because Snoop Dogg is in it or, or it's built out in a way where that's just like the main yeah. one, whatever that looks like in five or 10 years. Like if your house is next to Snoop Dogg's house and everyone's trying to get there or like Value hanging around up, there, yeah. they're around your plate. Like, like it's just the same concepts as in real life. Yeah. But and I don't mean like like the metaverse is stupid. I just think like maybe that is just a little extreme. Like I like some of the more practical uses of it. Like um, the NBA did their test last year, and you can actually go to games and sit quote unquote courtside at some of these live games. Yeah. So I know they're probably going to roll out like you can you can come to the NBA finals for this fee, and so instead of having a stadium that holds. 40,000 people, it's going to hold 500 million people, quote-unquote, through the metaverse. You know what I'm saying? Like, that type of stuff, like, monetizing in that way, I understand, but, like, having a digital, like, place and it, it you're you're paying absurd amount of money for it just to live to right. a fake Snoop Dogg. Yeah, you I'm know not, what I'm saying? Like, that's the part I was calling stupid about. I'm not. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm not there yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm empathetic to people that are are. Oh yeah, spending yeah. Spending all their money there. Definitely but. empathetic. I mean, they they might be seeing something that I'm not seeing, but yeah. yeah. Or just have bags and bags where they can speculate True. on all of this now. <laughs> we gotta we gotta pick and choose a little better. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you were. It sounded a lot like pay per view when you were talking. Like, hey, you want to join? You want to go to this sporting event? You want to go to the Pistons game tonight? And sit courtside, but on your Oculus. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. They were rolling it out free, and I'm pretty sure they're going to monetize it at some point. And I'm sure the NFL is going to do the same thing: sell Super Bowl tickets for whatever. It was the NFL that usually, or in the past, they've had in the end zone. You know, the the nice couch or the lazy boys, where you can, you know, yeah. the two people they win the contest, they get to sit there for the day. <laughs> no, I people appreciate that. They they want to view the game in different ways. Yeah. No, it's nuts. It's really nuts, man. And I went to the Lions preseason game. Did you? Friday, I did, which was awesome. First drive, baby. Minus, I missed it. You know what? Oh. Yeah, I, I missed it because I had to drive to park. I had to park. Oh, and it, I was literally, we waited for like 45, 50 minutes, and, you know, we missed the first five minutes of the game. Was it because people were um, tailgating and pregaming like yeah. crazy, and it was just. It was pretty exciting yeah. down there. It, it was. Detroit's sometimes tough to navigate on game days. Yeah. Just, there might be a concert, too, the same night is. as, like, preseason yeah. game or something. Like, yeah. I think there might have been. I don't know. There might have been Friday night. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. But, but 
real Go, quick. Let's, yeah. I just wanted to circle back to the origin of Southpaw because I feel like that needs to be like explained right. from where where you started, why why you started. And we got into like digital versus physical, but I just wanted to talk about the origin. Yeah, and I I'm, I can take that from I can take that from the cards too because yeah. I, I think the the next the future of sports cards is gonna it's gonna evolve both at the same time. Yeah, and let's definitely talk about the future because you've been putting me on some like really interesting things that I've been going down these crazy ones. You even the, the young Dolph card that you pulled out yeah. uh, or you found a couple couple weeks ago, but uh, yeah, so I I. I wasn't a collector growing up. I wasn't. It wasn't like I. Uh, uh, I went to sports shops all day with my dad when I was a kid. I, I, yeah. I love the stories of the people that do, but I'm, I'm just not gonna lie. That wasn't me. I learned about cards later in life. Excuse me. Right, right around when the pandemic was was starting. That's you didn't when collect I, Pokemon cards. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I I I would watch my friends play. I would see them collect. It just didn't. Didn't hit. It didn't hit. Yeah. Those were the days I wanted to be outside, and and you know we Makes were athletes. Sense. We were playing sports. And I was stuff. a loser. I played Pokemon. Did you really? Yeah. No way. I didn't know that. Big time. Oh man. You didn't work on that jump shot. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> Do you still have your Pokemon cards, by the way? No, I'm so pissed about it. My mom said I was obsessed, and she gave it away to one of the neighbor kids. <sighs> yeah. They're NFTs that she couldn't have given them away. I know. Crazy, right? Thank. Yeah. No. So Don't so I started. I started reading and researching all about cards heading into the pandemic. They were kind of getting getting hot, and I, I didn't really understand why it was just happening. You know, I was thinking it's a pandemic; people are mm-hmm. home, they got a little extra money, so they're spending it. But part of the re- part of my dive down the rabbit hole is understanding like the the, the cycles of sports cards yeah. and trading cards, and it it relates to a lot of other things. But when the, the most popular time in sports cars were in the 80s and, and heading into the 90s. And it was at that time where it became such a big business that the main sports card distributors and creators, all the main companies, were overproducing cards. Like the, the concept of rarity and of limited edition, the concept of just, you know, if you pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card out of a pack, you want that to be relatively limited. It's it's a rare rookie card. Yeah. Like that makes it more special. The more they're producing these cards, the less rare, the less value everything is because there's just supply and demand. Supply and demand. Yeah. Um. So, w- w- I think we'll spend more time on a later episode on the trading card industry. But the '90s, there was a huge crash because of this overprodu- overproduction of cards. They called it the junk wax era. There's hmm. just People, I mean, you could literally throw away packs. They're just almost worthless. Um, so what I learned that the kids, you know, kids growing up in the '80s and '90s, fast forward to 2000, you know, 19, 20, you know, we're 30, 35, 40, 45 years old. We're now grown up, have a little bit of, you know, we might have some uh, um, extra income, a little money to spend, and the the idea of of channeling that nostalgia from our childhood. You know, maybe we have a young kid growing up if we're, you know, 30, 40 years old. Yeah. We probably have 9, 10, 11 year old kid. You know, those things start to get, um, start to uh, bubble back up to the top. You know, you start teaching your teaching your kids about about hobbies or about sports, you know, growing up or, or, or whatnot. So that whole wave of people growing up in the 80s and 90s are now adults and are now putting their expendable income into cards. So it's gr- it's blown up in the past 
and it's starting to get even bigger with technology evolving. And I'm not just talking NFTs. I'm saying just like marketplaces and platforms, the ease of selling. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a lot different than it was, you know, 10 years ago, right. 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Now we have eBay. We have all these different sites where we can interact. Access is Ex- pretty easy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there are a lot of issues in the trading card industry, and there's a lot of a lot of friction in this buying and selling process, and but it's all getting ironed out. Um, so that's kind of the 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 um, what what would we call it the the origin the origin yeah that, that's it the origin of kind of what got me actually like what I started to understand about trading cards and why these have value now um, okay and why the name Southpaw Slabs. I'm a left-handed pitcher. Or okay. I was a left-handed pitcher. Southpaw is a a, a term for lefties. Um, I pitched at the University of Michigan and then chased uh, a professional career overseas for a season before uh, before calling it a, a day on my, my career, before hanging up the cleats. Where would you play overseas? I played just north of Frankfurt in Germany. Oh, sweet. played for the okay. Bad Homburg Hornets, their hmm. baseball club um, in Germany. Baseball is a, a growing sport over there. You know, soccer, excuse me, football is their football. is their 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 primary sport. But they love baseball. I found this might be a generalization, but most of the German people I met love trying new things and and like pursuing them, practicing them. They loved playing baseball. It wasn't like the best competition. You know, yeah. there were good players and bad players, but it was a lot of fun. Cool. It was. Do you still have some gear? I got a, a few things. For that team? Yeah. 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 I, that, I don't have much from that team. I think I have a t-shirt or something. Make it know? an NFT? Some of the clubs, the money. <laughs> <laughs> seriously. <laughs> seriously. But where where I sort of wanted to go, I feel like I've been talking this whole episode. Oh, no, you're good, man. We, we, and for the record, want to bring back Southpaw Slab stories. Like I think we're going to do out. that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think that was a really critical part of our last podcast. And again, I think it really gives a good example physically of how it could translate digitally. You right. know what I'm saying? So right. I think that's important. What I think is going to be really cool, and, and we'll probably end the episode with this, when when these companies, when it all irons out and these companies start using blockchain in a, in a, uh, in a, in the right, in a, in a new way, I see a world where, where you get both the physical and the digital NFT in one by owning kind of like we were just talking about the vinyls. Mm-hmm. You own this NFT, you own this token. That means your utility is you have this physical item. You have the yeah. physical card. But I think where it's going to get fun is the fact that it's digital. The fact that you know the underlying asset is an NFT. The things that these card companies or the players or the teams or or all the things behind the scenes that aren't involved in the trading card industry minus signing the card or, or minus that yeah. initial I think it's going to create some opportunity where you can add utility and add value to a physical trading card by owning a Cade Cunningham rookie card this specific one you're entitled to you know a, a meet and greet before one game a season with Cade Cunningham yeah. or he'll send you a, a, a pair of shoes you know but like different things that the athlete can add to you know, connect with his fans, connect with the community. Um, various things that that the card company can fill, can pump into the token, where it not only increases the value, but then once it's sold, the fact that it's in this digital form, 
the card company now is making money on resale. The players making money yeah. on resale. That's all the stuff that doesn't happen now. Right. That that collaboration. And before before we sign off here, do you think teams and like clubs like that are thinking about that? I think players are individually doing their own things, not necessarily just with trading cards, but like, do you think they're even having discussions organization wise about, hey, we need to include some sort of like web three yes. like utility moving forward. I know for a fact Mark Cuban is probably having yeah. those conversations, but he's been one at the forefront. Yeah. And, and the most of the examples I've heard have, have been around ticketing it, where, okay. where the ticket is instead of a, a QR code or a physical ticket. I would love to be a fly on the wall. Like what they like, are thinking right like even if even if we're just speculating on taking they might be thinking something complete like I right i would love to hear that speculation yeah. hear that speculation but it's going to be interesting i know next episode we might dive in a little more into fantasy sports yeah and and that takes it in a little different direction but um i guess what excites me it's a new way i'm i've re-engaged with sports that i've been away from since i stopped playing baseball yeah i'm now i'm now in tune with both present and you know vintage sports like i was when i was younger like yeah, I, I enjoyed sports but now i'm like back in it in a different way it's fun yeah it's a, it's an exciting time for ex-athletes such as yourself just to reinvest interest back into it because i feel like a lot of people are like i'm done you know what i'm saying and you're usually After done career. and you can't can't make any money off your name image and likeness yeah, once man. you're done no, well we're done now too we're done. <laughs> <laughs> until next time yeah, until next time